0: If there's no further greetings or announcements, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we've come once again to Thee as children to a Heavenly Father who loves us and will provide only the best for us. We want to look to Thee and ask for food, not for our physical bodies, but food for the spiritual man, food for that part of us that can be satisfied by nothing else. Man, when he is full, is not like an animal who's full. An animal that's full is content. A man who's full still wonders why he has the emptiness within him, even though all his physical needs are met. And so, Heavenly Father, we know that there is a spiritual man inside of each one of us, a spiritual being that longs to be reunited with its Maker. Be with those that could not gather with us this evening. Be with those that are struggling, Heavenly Father. Be with the depressed and the downcast, the widows, the orphans, the mistreated in this world. Be with those that are spreading thy word in the face of great persecution. Those that are even suffering prison and torture and some even perhaps at this very moment are dying for thy name's sake, knowing that there is something better awaiting them on the other side. Heavenly Father, be with us now. Grant us words from Thee that would satisfy eternally. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've opened to a portion of the 8th chapter of John's Gospel. John uh, chapter 8. I'd like to begin reading with the 30th verse. John's Gospel, chapter 8, starting with verse 30. We've joined Jesus now in the middle of a sermon that he was preaching, and teaching, and there were many that came to hear him. And as he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the Son abideth ever. If the Son therefore shall make you free, Ye shall be free indeed. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech, even because ye cannot hear my word? Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar, and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which one of you, which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and ye do dishonor me. And I seek not mine own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, If a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And thou sayest, If a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead. Whom makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say, I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him, and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. We've just read a passage, a piece of scripture, a dialogue between different groups of people. And to me, it still crackles with that electricity of a a very tense conversation as these people tried to figure out who this Jesus really was. Was he simply a traveling rabbi? Was he a teacher with a new new take, a new direction on morality and God? How did he fit in their framework, in their understanding? Jesus still causes the same problems for people today. In these pages, you will find yourself... If you look at it, because I think the various responses to Christ can be found here, to his teaching, to who he was, to what he said he was. He was far more than a man. You know, when the temple guards were told to go, go take Jesus, when he was teaching in the temple. The guards sent to arrest him were arrested by Christ instead. His words stopped them in their tracks. They listened to what he said, and they couldn't go through with what they were commanded. And so they had to, they had to go back to those same priests that had told them to arrest him and said, No man spake like this man. They had heard teachers of all sorts in those temple walls. There were great teachers in those days. We know of Gamaliel, and if you will turn to contemporary Jewish sources, if you look to the history of their rabbis, which is a, a living uh, thing, they still they still refer to these these great teachers of the law. They go by different names. Um, Miamides, Miamides, I can't remember how to pronounce his name exactly now, uh, him and Hilal and, and uh, um, the man that they, they call Rambam—he had it's an amalgamation of a couple names, these great teachers of the law, and Gamaliel is actually listed as one of their great teachers, one of the rabbis of note of the past, whose judgments and, and decisions were added to their commentary on the law. They had heard great teachers. But no man ever spake like this man. The audacity with which he taught. Jesus had obviously never read How to, inf- how to Make Friends and Influence People. His, his, his speech was so cutting and so direct and i think that must have been partially because he knew he had only a short time there was there was no time for a polite conversation and for chit chat he went right to what was the nub of the problem right to the right to the point that they had problems with with him he says to those that believe believed on him that were listening to him and were, were were kindly disposed to what he was saying. He says simply, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. It wasn't enough to, to, to give mental assent, but there was, a, there, was a, there was an action required. Now, the interesting thing was, if I can take a moment here, is that if you will continue in the words of Christ and do them, He says, You're like a wise man. But don't make the mistake, like I did, for many years, of thinking you will be able to fulfill his words. There is a there's an irony there. If you will do his words, you will find out that he's a teacher come, come from God, because you will realize that you, in the power of your own flesh, will not be able to keep them. The kind of response he asks of you to love your enemies. I'm sorry, but that's humanly impossible. Humanly impossible. The best humanity can offer is to do like the Buddhists and simply detach yourself from things so that you feel neither love nor hate. But to love your enemies is divine. You will find out what kind of a teacher Jesus was if you try to keep his words. But don't think that, that you will be able to keep his words in the way that he presents them. That requires a supernatural transformation in the heart and the mind of men and women. But he says, if you'll continue in my words, then you'll be my disciples indeed. And he shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. This is the truth that frees every man, frees every woman, frees them from the the prisons of their own making, from prisons of prejudice, of hatred, of self-loathing, of... uh, of a past, perhaps, and and, and and past experience, past hurts. You know what the irony is? That verse is the motto of the Central Intelligence Agency of the United States. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I don't know if someone had a sense of humor in choosing that, since, of course, the CIA is involved in a lot of disinformation. Intelligence gathering and counterintelligence sowing lies (laughs) to promote the interests of the state. But for one who will seek, who will continue in the words of Christ, you will find the truth. And in finding that truth, you will become free. Now, this is the interesting thing about the gospel, because when people are faced with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you can be free, you can be free from your sins. What's the first response you hear back? I'm not bound. What are you talking about? There's no strings on me. I don't owe allegiance to anyone. I do as I please. And you're telling me that I'm a slave. Have you tested those chains? Have you tested those chains? I invite you to try. I did. I did. When I was first convicted by God, I think I was about maybe 15 years old or so at Eastern Camp. I remember thinking, this is important, this is the path in life I want to follow. Okay, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start counseling with someone, gonna make a change. This shouldn't take much more than six months, a year maybe. I'm gonna decide and I'm gonna do like I thought I had the power to do. I should have read the hymn and the Zions Harp. It would have saved me a lot of time. We don't realize we're bound until we start struggling against those chains. Look at your own heart. Look at your own natural inclination to selfishness and self-preservation. We all have it. Flesh and blood did not convert, and brother and sister, we still have to be conscious of that today. We know in that breaking we experienced under the hand of God, that breaking that that's the source of power. That's the truth to overcoming. That as I gave up and gave in to him and allowed him now to make me and re- remake me into something new that I couldn't become on my own, that's when I found power. That's when I found victory. And so to me, this account that we've read together sounds Oh, so contemporary, <laughs> so so pertinent when you talk to people about the gospel and try to explain to them the nature of this truth. Because you see, people in the world will say, "Convince me of this truth, and then I'll believe it and I'll try it." But Christ doesn't put it that way. He says, "Do what I say." And you will see, you will understand the truth of what I am teaching. It's a totally different way. But try it for yourself. The Jews that were there said, we be Abraham's seed and we're never in bondage to any man. I mean, that was only half true. Their own nation was under Roman occupation. But they were spiritualizing this text and realizing that Abraham was their father and that they came through Isaac, the son of the free woman, not from Hagar, who was, a, who was a slave girl. They claimed freedom and the promise of Abraham. But Jesus cut right to the heart of it. He just says simply, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. The irrationality of sin. The irrationality of sin. Test it for yourself. I did. And I still have to be reminded every so often. Sometimes Satan tempts us in a way that we know is not good for us, we know we're responding in a way that's not good, that's counterproductive. And yet we give in to it anyway. That pattern demonstrates that we're servants of sin. We're doing as sin would want us to do. And in that moment of temptation, reason is set aside. The long view of things that says, I'm probably going to regret saying this, but it feels good at the moment or I may regret this and have to go back and apologize for it, but I'm going to do it now anyway. We realize in that moment who our master really is, who's calling the shots. You know, I had a friend of mine from the sister church, and a number of us went on a missions trip to Jamaica. This is back in my single days, shortly before I was married. And um, we had to whole mix of people there, and it was, a, it was a really blessed time. And somehow one evening, the, the conversation turned to the topic of politics. And for those of you that don't know or don't have friends on the Sister Church side, they're, they're very American. Very, it's been a number of years since they've... they've uh, we're more recent immigra- immigrants from, uh, from Eastern Europe, and, and bringing with us uh, a, a more recent knowledge of how politics can go horribly wrong and all sorts of oppression that can happen. Traditionally, anyway, we've been kind of detached from the political scene, the Nazarene side, I mean. But the American churches are much more, um, they've been uh, uh, naturalized Americans at, for, for many generations now, and so many of them follow politics quite avidly, and uh, they believe strongly in, their, in, in exercising the right to vote and so on, and I don't fault them for that at all. But as we were talking, I was sharing with them a little bit about my own perspective that's more decidedly Nazarene, and my own suspicion of politics and politicians, and some of our experiences from the believers in Europe. And as we were talking about these things, this friend of mine who was kind of quiet in the back, he didn't say much for most of that discussion. And then he, he spoke up and he, he just simply turned to one of the young guys who was kind of strident about some of these things and said, You think you you follow the politics? You think you're pretty up on, on what's going on? The young man said, Yeah, yeah, I am. He says, Okay. How did your representative vote on the last major bill? Hmm. Oh, uh, not sure. What was the last major bill? that uh, can't really tell you that either. See, let me tell you how politics works. Let me tell you how politics works. He was a, a young man who was very political. His dad, he told me, or, no, his grandfather was on the board, the Flood Commission Board in the United States back in the 50s. He was, he was a godly man, a believer. He was on the flood board and he got to mix with all the politicians at the highest levels because the massive infrastructure programs that the United States initiated after the Second World War, uh, hundreds of thousands of men were involved in that, millions and millions of dollars, they were huge. They built out the entire interstate network of of freeways uh, in a matter of a few decades. The massive dams uh, like the Hoover Dam and other ones were put up by those same men. The, the, The vast amounts of surveying and planning that was involved in that, the amount of money and effort and this man was on this important commission. And he said, I think that was about the last time that a godly man could mix in politics and not be affected by it. He says, let me tell you what really happens. I was being trained, I think it was in the state of Minnesota, to be party, Republican Party whip. Uh, there, being groomed already at an early, early, early age to start uh, uh, getting ready for a, for a run at a Senate seat or, or something like that. And he said... Let me tell you how this really works. Left-leaning Republican, right-leaning Democrat, doesn't really matter. The party will field whatever candidate they feel is gonna get them the seat in that particular jurisdiction so that that seat is either a blue seat or a red seat. That's what's important. And he said, let me tell you something, when it comes down to an issue of importance, you will vote exactly as the party tells you to vote because you will not get there unless they can be assured of that. They'll let you do whatever you want until that vote really matters. And when that vote really matters, then you will come down on the side that the party wants you to come down on. Hmm. Satan is that kind of master. That's the kind of Faustian bargain you think that you've made, and you may not even realize it. He will give you freedom. You can point to good things that you've done. You can say, I'm not as bad as that person over there or that person in prison. He'll let you have your choice. But when it comes down to it, he'll make the call. When it really comes down to it, he'll make the call. And so it is, people think, and here's the irony of it, in today's day and age, people think that they have more freedom than they have at perhaps any other time. Gender barriers don't exist to the same degree they did years ago. Barriers to travel, barriers of education, equal opportunity is the word of the day. Then answer me this, why do people feel more dissatisfied and more trapped now, looking to identify with an oppressed group now than at other times? Why are people so hungry for truth, yet so ready to believe lies? Someone once said, in a, in, a, in a time or in a place where lies are accepted, to speak the truth is radical. And I believe that's what followers of Christ are called to. Christ did it first here. All he was doing was speaking the simple truth. If we would read on to the next chapter, we would see about a man who had been healed by Christ, and he had to give them the, the simple truth The simple instruction to these men, he says in the next chapter, verse, actually verse 30, the man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he, th- he hath opened mine eyes. He was a man born blind, from his, he was, he was born blind, he had never seen, and, and Christ gives him his sight. He says simply, Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. And their response, they answered and said unto him, thou was altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. You know what the irony of that was? I spoke to you before about Gamaliel. He said exactly the same thing to the same council, but they didn't dare cast him out. He said, if it's not of God, it will come to nothing, which is exactly what this man said. See, this is the schizophrenia. This is the the, the cognitive dissonance that can happen when you reject the truth. The truth will make you free. But, of course, the converse of that is also true. Lies will lead you further into bondage. If you repress the truth, if you suppress it, as it says in Romans, eventually God will give you over. That's a scary, a scary point, a scary point to be in. For me, the saddest part of this scripture is the last few verses. Your father, your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day. Think about that for a moment. The man you look up to, the one from whose bloodline you come, that great hero of yours, saw my day and was glad for it. How far had his children gone? The Jews pointed out the obvious fact that Jesus wasn't even 50 years old. How could he see Abraham? The truth was there in front of their face. Jesus kept saying it to them. He reached a point where he says, Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. Chew on that line for a moment. They could obviously hear what he was saying. But he was talking about something else. How can you not see see past the words that I'm saying to you to understand the truth that is behind them? And if nothing else, this man did miracles. Surely the miracles should have stopped to give them pause? To realize this man was doing something totally unnatural? I better listen to him at least for that reason? Jesus finally lays it all out for them. He says to them, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, before Abraham was, he doesn't say I was. Did you notice that? He says, I am. I am. The great unitary reality that is God. God. No beginning, no end, no parts. A God that immense. Abraham was just a man. A faithful man. A man who believed God. And more importantly, listen to what it says about Abraham. It says he believed him that had, had promised these things. There's a commentary given for us in Acts when when God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son on the top of that mountain, and it says he believed him that he would bring him back from the dead of whom he had received in a figure. His body was already dead. He was way past childbearing age. His wife, way past childbearing age. From a physical sense, their body was dead. He had received that child in a figure from the dead. And he trusted God That if God wanted him to die, that he was going to bring him right back. Because he knew the character of the one. I think sometimes Christians are too caught up in promises. They want to grab a promise for this and a promise for that and have a book of God's promises. Like there's some, some magic amulet or something like that against trouble. The point is not the promise. The point is the one who made the promise. The character of the one who made the promise. That's who we trust. That's who Abraham trusted. The one behind the written word that was speaking through it. Perhaps this is confusing for some. But if we give God his proper due, if we realize how great he really is, I think we would live and act very differently than we sometimes do. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so... Passed by. Their opportunity. Their opportunity to speak, not with a great teacher, even, but to speak with the God of the Word. The Jewish scholars, the Jewish rabbis have consumed mountains of paper and oceans of ink trying to discover what God really meant by something and trying to untangle all of the legal problems of the Jewish law and what about this case and what about this case and the important rulings are, are, are written down and become part of a huge library that's continually expanding but the opportunity to speak with the one who had written the law and ask him what it really meant. It passed them by. How sad. How sad. And so, here we are on a sleepy Sunday afternoon in December. And I fear that for some of you, he may simply pass you by. Because your wor- his words have no place in you. That's a scary thing. That's a scary thing. He's offered you truth. Truth so powerful and so profound that it will make you free. And you, yet, you tell him in your chains, no, don't think I need you right now. Or, maybe as the athenians did A more convenient time we'll hear from you i can do or say nothing that will convince you to change your mind christ couldn't change the mind of these men here if he couldn't do it i certainly can't you need to try it for yourself it's the only solution It's the one he gives. And so I urge you try it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It's almost impossible for a salesman to make a sale without getting someone to try the product. I'm not a salesman, but God in His wisdom has decreed that you must try it yourself. There's no sales pitch that will ever convince you. It must be tried. And so I would encourage you test this man, see if what he says is true. And taste and see that the Lord is good. May the Lord add whatever was lacking to what was spoken. Would a brother please select a hymn? God's grace. The older I get, the longer I live as a Christian, the more I learn to marvel at it. And there was a there was a line that arrested me in this hymn, it stopped me when I was singing it, It says, Therein to worship thee and magnify thy grace. You know, heaven, if you're to describe heaven to people, they may not think it's that exciting to go there. What are you going to do if you're going to be there for an eternity? Our pleasures are much more visceral But the hymn writer here says, magnify thy grace. Now, to magnify something can mean two different things. It can mean to make something small appear larger than it really is. That's one meaning of magnify, like a magnifying glass. But there's also another reason. And that's to make something appear as big as it really is, like through a telescope. You bring it closer. And when you understand how big God's grace really is, how great it is, how vast it is, then to praise him for an eternity will not be a burden. It'll be pure, unadulterated joy that he saved a wretch like me. Do you realize, do you realize, my friend, how how low he's put the bar for you people may say about hell how is it that so many people can end up in hell doesn't that mean that god isn't loving that's not the right way of looking at it the proper way of looking at it is look how easy he's made it to get into heaven He's removed every human qualification and set it aside. You know, it's ironic. People talk about, well, it's important to be a good person. You need to just be a good person. That's enough. The problem that you have is what's good enough? Coincidentally, the cutoff line for goodness is always somewhere slightly below me. We all have no problem with the idea that Hitler and Stalin and all these other awful people, they end up roasting in hell for an eternity. That's no problem to us. The problem is me, you, my family members, the neighbor next door. Where is that line? Do you realize what God has done? He simply removed it from you and said, I'm taking all of that on myself. He says, humble yourself and I'll show you grace that's it i was thinking about this at lunch just uh, you know it's it's like there's been a, a wreck and people are floating in little life preservers out on the ocean and god is there with a the lifeline tossing it out this is an imperfect analogy i know some people are demanding that he throw them the line And some are saying, please. And so he extends that line to those that say, please. Did that person deserve it? What was their special merit? A little bit of humility, maybe? The set of our heart matters. God will not reject someone who's of a broken and a contrite spirit. If you admit your emptiness to him, you can be saved. That's it. The rest he's taken care of. Maybe some of the things I've said this afternoon are confusing to you. Maybe some of these things seem a little too hard to grab. But think of it this way. Abraham was a friend of God. We know that from Scripture. Abraham was a friend of God. If God is as big as he says he is, Don't you think he would do something about his friend? Don't you think that he could take him by the hand and pull him back across the line of death to join him in his eternity? It's that simple, really. He loves each one of us. He wants to be friends with each one of us. He's looking for us to respond, because as we know, friendship can't really be bought. You can get someone to act like a friend by paying them off, perhaps. But a real friend, a real friend, that's got to come from within the person. They have, to, they have to respond. So it is with us. He's looking for us to respond. If we don't, he may pass us by. May the Lord add whatever was lacking to what was said and ask for your forbearance where I've made a mistake. This concludes our service. And I'd like to commend all of you into the Lord's keeping. Amen.